Hey listeners, I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with casting director David Caporelliotis. David has his own office, Caporelliotis Casting, based in New York City. David is currently casting New Amsterdam on NBC. Recent and select Broadway credits include Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Minutes, The Waverly Gallery, The Boys in the Band, King Lear, Hillary and Clinton, Jitney, The Little Foxes, Three Tall Women, Meteor Shower, A Doll's House Part 2, The Front Page, The Glass Menagerie, Blackbird, Fish in the Dark, Disgraced, and Fences. David also casts for Manhattan Theatre Club, Signature Theatre in New York, Atlantic Theatre Company Stage 2, The Old Globe, Ars Nova, Goodman Theatre, Berkeley Rep, McCarter Arena Stage, Seattle Rep, among many, many others. Additional film and television credits include The Boys in the Band for Netflix, American Odyssey for NBC, The Pilot of How to Get Away with Murder for ABC, Ironside for NBC, and Steel Magnolias for Lifetime. David is a proud member of the Casting Society of America and an active member of CSA's Diversity and Inclusion Committee and a recent recipient of the Media Access Award for his work on New Amsterdam. Listeners, I am so excited to share this episode with one of New York City's top casting directors. Now, David was my audition teacher in college, and I think about his class all the time. It really helped me, and I still think about it today. And I'm so happy to be sharing some of his brilliance with you all. Now, it's not shocking that it's TV that is casting and shooting right now. People are making self-tapes for television, so we talk a lot about the television audition process and David's thoughts on self-tapes. Now, this is super important for anyone making self-tapes or thinking that they're going to start making them again or wanting to up their self-tape game. And spoiler alert, self-tapes are definitely here to stay. We talk about one of the biggest lessons David ever taught me, which is to develop your aesthetic. It really is so important to your work, not only as an actor, but also as a human in this world. And I'm not even going to try to explain what David means, but hearing what he says is truly, truly super important. And I'm so happy that he's talking about it here on the podcast. I also share a story with David that he hasn't heard before about how him vouching for me in an audition was what actually booked me a very important job. This business is so much about connections and being a good person, and we hear that all the time, but this story is truly a testament to those ideas. Listeners, you are in for a real treat. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant, kind, and legendary David Caporelliotis. All right, David, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I'm so happy to be seeing your face and catching up. I wish we were doing this in person, but Indeed. alas, alas, we are not able to these days. But it will happen. Soon. It will happen another time. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me for this podcast. I mean, sure. you've always like been on my mind because you, you know, full disclosure, were my audition teacher when I was in school and always felt like I just got so much out of your class. And the thing that always stuck with me that you always said was that auditioning isn't acting, you know, like mm-hmm. we're doing two different things. It's two different skill sets. And, mm-hmm. and maybe we can elaborate on that later, you know, when, we're, yeah. when we kind of talk more about the audition room, but. Sure. Somewhat controversial, that thing, that way of thinking, but yes, we shall talk about it later. Yeah. So I usually 
like to chat about like what's happening right now for you. You know, mm -hmm. for some people who exclusively have a theater career, whether it's casting, acting, or directing, mm -hmm. there's not a lot happening, but you, I know, are working on a very busy television show. Mm -hmm. And then maybe also, you know, it's kind of hard to think about, but maybe in it's been fun to hear like in March, maybe like what was life like when things sure. kind of stopped? Yeah. Like where, where were you? Um, I know a show you had cast was about to open on Broadway, you know? Yeah, it was pretty much, honestly, it was overnight for, for everything. I mean, for everybody, obviously, but we had, um, we had Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in previews, which I never even got to see because usually if it's a show that Joe Mantello's directed, I wait a few weeks into, into previews to go to see it. So I don't go too soon. So I had waited. So I totally did not get to see that, which completely bums me out. And then the minutes, the Tracy Let's Play that Anna Shapiro directed was also in previews, which mm -hmm. I did get to see. But then we had, you know, we had something at the signature Katori Hall's play Hot Wing King, which was I totally, I mourn the loss of everything, but I, that play was really special to me. It was a, um, it's a play about out gay black men in the South. And it was, it was a blast. Honestly, it was, Katori opened a, sort of pulled the curtain back on a world of, of gay black men that is not often seen on stage. So that was a huge drag that that one closed. And then the last day that I was in my office, we were finishing up casting Twilight Los Angeles, the Anna DeVere Smith play about the LA race riots, which, you know, knowing what we know now and living through what we just lived through. I mean, you literally, when that play is performed at the signature, which it will be again, it's, you know, when, when they, when we do get back into live theater, we're still going to do it. People are just going to be fucking blown away by the fact of what Anna was writing about the voices, the, the, the people that she gave voice to in that piece, people were still talking on television almost verbatim during the, you know, the black lives matter protests that were happening here. Um, so those were the sort of those were the play things. So production on New Amsterdam, which is the NBC show that we cast, shut down on a shut down on Friday. Broadway pretty much shut down on that Thursday the night before. So on Friday, suddenly it was just quiet, right? We had our last audition session on Saturday on Zoom. Talk about you know me. I'm like fifty one. I'm over fifty and don't know anything about fucking computers. And then suddenly as half the world is confronted with being on Zoom. So the last audition session that I had for a play was with Anna DeVere Smith uh, for the signature for callbacks for one role. And none of us really knew, frankly, what the hell we were doing. You know, the, the guys that were auditioning, some of them were living at home over, out of the blue. They were, you know, as happened to everybody, they were auditioning from their basement, from their childhood bedroom. You know, it was it was really intense, really quickly, um, as it was for yeah. for everyone. You know, and I actually went. I've sent like many casting directors and many theater people, and then just people across the country. I've gone back to my office because we had to give up our lease. Um, because oh, wow! I know I've That's been in that space. Sweet. I know we've been in that space for fourteen years. Um, John's Pizza. Uh, John's Pizza, Angus <laughs> McIndoe. I don't know if you were around when Angus McIndoe was there, but like we had our opening, our office opening there 
my old business partner, Melanie Nagler. I've been there since 2007. So it was, you know, all the feels, all the emotions. Yeah. But when I went back, it was, I think, probably in May, and it was a time capsule already. Like there was the sign-in sheet for that Twilight session that was supposed to be in person that ended up being on Zoom. It was still on the little shelf where we put the, the sign-in sheet by the audition room with a pen ready for actors to sign in. You know, there was like a half-eaten granola bar on one of my employees' desks. It was just, it was crazy. Weird. It was like supernatural. Yeah. So that all stops. And then, yeah. and then, I, I mean, I, it's, I don't want to talk too much about the pandemic and everything because on the other side, it will be different. We don't know what it's going to be like. It will come back. But, you know, and then it was, it was interesting from an actor's point of view, because then like, you know, okay, play, theater stopped. Um, television stopped, but then all of a sudden, like I would get a theater appointment because oh, starting January 2021, we're doing this play, and like mm -hmm. you know, I'm sending in tapes for these things, which clearly didn't happen. But it was right. a guessing game of like, when are we going to be back? When? So you sure. know, I imagine for you as a casting director, that was also like the the game, right? It was like, sure, it's still happening. Putting out yeah auditions for things that you don't know when we're doing that right now. You know, I mean the 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 dates have changed now you know my grandfather used to take me to the dog track when i was a kid in massachusetts and i don't know if you, the dogs the greyhounds basically chase this rabbit that is fixed on a pole that goes around the track and they never catch it like that's the whole thing the existential yeah. problem with dog racing is they never catch what they're going after so theater it's felt a little bit like that it's sort of like we're all chasing this this rabbit on a pole of when we're going to start and we've not caught it yet you know, and mm -hmm. there's still too many variables. Obviously, the vaccine is changing things, but it seems like people are looking at things for the fall, you know, now mm -hmm. fall of 2021, and we're starting to audition again for them, you know, and then things will, will adapt as things get pushed back. But I think people are really craving, I think, certainly actors, um, but I think everybody, we just, we want to, even if it's somewhat, feels like Brigadoon right now, like it's never really going to happen. It is going to happen. And I feel like we need to be dipping our toes in it to just, even if it ends up being postponed. Mm -hmm. Right. You know. So, but then the other side of things is that television yeah. has absolutely started again. And yeah. it seems like it's been fast and furious for a lot of shows because networks are, you know, trying to get content out fast because sure. we've all been burning through our, Hulu and Amazon and, you know, kind of all sure. those television shows. So that seems like it's been fast and furious. And for you, what's it, how, what was it like getting back into New Amsterdam? You know, I imagine it's different now because you're not seeing actors in person. You're seeing, right. Like, am I right? Saying you're just, you're just seeing. Yeah. On tape. Yeah. 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 That's the, obviously that's the biggest difference. And it's the thing that I miss the most, you know, you've been in my office our office was like this, you know, crazy little psychotic rabbit warren where everybody was right on top of each other, right? But it's just this whole feeling, right? It was like a microcosm of the whole, and this sounds corny, but the whole community feeling of what we do, like actors coming in from me, coming in from Meredith Tucker, who had an office that, you know, she shared an office in my space. And just like me walking from my office through the little lobby past where the actors were sitting giving someone a hug, which of course now seems like, oh my God, did we ever fucking do that? Tapping someone on the shoulder, you know, just, just like little subtle things that we don't even realize that we do to support each other, you know, to say hello, to, to, to connect a bit. 
you know, and then being in room in a room with an actor that you've known for a long time, that's just it's a social thing as well as it is professional. Easy for me to say, mm-hmm. obviously, because it's, I'm sitting behind a table, so it's easier for me to feel like it's social as well as professional. The actors coming in, and of course, it's you know, it's charged because it's a job interview, right? But catching up with people as people and as as professionals, being able to talk to an actor about a particular scene being able to see what they're bringing and then work together to try to, to try to get a, either a different take or a better take, better is pejorative, but you know, just trying to make it as strong as you can together. And I certainly miss that. And I think what's happened is it's this bifurcated thing now where actors are in their spaces, be it their childhood homes where they went for the pandemic, be it in their basements, you know, people that are doing voiceovers are making little caves for themselves because the acoustics are good. But we're getting these tapes from actors who are taping alone or with a partner from their living room going only by their gut, right? And and then I receive it on the other end. Casting directors are receiving it and are watching it also in solitude. So it's a very strange process. You know, it's like the middle has been taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm completely impressed and inspired by actors, as you know, always, but especially now, because, you know, I have a one bedroom, uh, apartment in Brooklyn and it's hard enough for me sometimes to go from my couch to the desk. It's like four feet to pretend that I'm somehow in a workspace now. And for actors to be doing these things while they have kids and their kids are on the computer and homeschool and just everything and trying to suspend their own disbelief enough and then forget about the technical stuff that they've got to do to produce these auditions. I'm felled by inertia so much. I don't know how you feel in the pandemic, but I fight inertia and I fight motivation to become motivated, to stay motivated. And I'm just so impressed by actors that are, you know, they are doggedly doing this and they are, you know, I put something on Facebook at some point because I was like, I wanted actors to know that they weren't just sending these tapes out and nothing was happening with them. Right. Cause it's sort of like you press send and then it's like, who the fuck knows. Right. So yes. I guess, so I was like, you know, listen, man, I am, I am literally watching your auditions while I am cooking dinner. Like I am, I'm watching them on the bus. I'm so the whole thing is just, you know, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. But going back into the TV show, Robbie, what was amazing about it is falling back in love with what it is that we do. You know, I mean, I think artists, actors, directors, all of us living in New York, it's so easy to become jaded and it's so easy to become, you know, oh God, I've got to go to see a play. Oh, I've got to go. I have four auditions today. Oh, I've got so many, so many, something was like, oh man, wait a minute. I think I might fucking love what I do. I complain about it a lot, like everybody does about their jobs, but I really, really, really was missing it. And then when I started seeing people on my screen, it was like eating that little power pack, that power pill in Pac-Man, you like eat it. And then it's like, oh, good. I'm good for three or four days now. You know, actors are, they're just stating the obvious. They are so, so hurting right now, you know, for just the practical things for money, for insurance, for all of that stuff. So any little bit that I, any little role that I can have in terms of possibly presenting an opportunity for somebody who maybe needs a week or two of work is holistically and practically speaking good for me. 
you know, I'm very fortunate that I do have a TV job, you know, because most, not a lot of casting directors that do mostly theater do not. So I'm very fortunate to have it fiscally. Otherwise I would be utterly, utterly screwed. I mean, utterly. There, mm -hmm. there is no overstating the level of decimation that we are going through. And I know we don't want to focus too much on the, on the negative, but we are, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, mm -hmm. I had dinner with Bernie Telsey and Tara Rubin the other night. All of us have left our spaces, right? Wow. Bernie has been in his space for two years. He, they built that space. They're, They're out of that space. Anymore? They're not there anymore. No. Why is, why is that happening? I guess. I guess maybe it's different for every office, but like- It's I would different imagine... for every office, but it's relative, right? So I'm a small office. I only have three employees. So yeah. my space and my overhead is relative to me. Bernie is like an empire, Yeah. right? But it's all still relative because you need, it's literally simply input output. If the yeah. money is not coming in- You can't pay the rent. You can't pay the rent. It doesn't matter whether you're Bernie, whether you're me, whether whoever you are. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's-, that's that's huge for people to know in terms of what's going on in our industry. You know, it's no one is immune from what is going on. And I think finally the city is, you know, Cuomo is finally beginning to turn his attention to the arts. Schumer is finally beginning to turn his attention to it. Mm -hmm. You know, not that they've been not paying attention, but we are in crisis. We are in crisis, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I don't want is people who still have so much to offer to have to give it up because the stopgap is just too great for them to be able to cover. So, you know, so that's, that's why I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the fall for theater and I'm very grateful for the amount of TV output that, we're, that, that is existing right now. And the fact that these TV shows are being so careful to remain in production. It's a miracle, right? It's a fucking miracle that they are. Yeah, because thinking about yeah the health insurance and the and the income that they're giving to actors, to costumers, to casting directors, you know, it it goes so far, and then their families that are benefiting from it. So it, absolutely, it's really been, and you kind of want SAG, right? You know, SAG, SAG, and Equity just raise their premiums on. You know, I'm not well versed in how many hours you need and all that kind of stuff to get your insurance, but part of me feels like, and I'm speaking completely uneducatedly. But part of me does feel like, okay, shouldn't we be at a place where our own unions are protecting those that they are representing by even for a year or two, lowering what the what, what the bar is for what you need to be insured? The equity health insurance, I am losing my equity health insurance on February first. Oh, right. And I'm so grateful. Well, I'm so grateful that I did. I had a great long running play in the city right that literally ended right before this all started that gave me that health insurance to get to now you know a year mm -hmm. a year later um, yeah so many people didn't have that but the equity health insurance just went crazy i mean basically making it impossible to get the level of health coverage that i have right now you have to get now almost like triple the weeks like you basically can only get equity health insurance at the highest level if you're on broadway or you're doing a tour which for actors that don't do musicals is sure. really hard because, you know, you could do two and a half regional theater jobs as an actor, you know, or, you know, one longer thing and get your equity health insurance, which I've always been lucky enough to pretty much always have. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's like, 
you know, it's the same issue as what you're talking about, the input output, though, unfortunately, of, you know, the rent spaces, the health, the equity league and the health insurance is depleted because, you know, theaters, Broadway producers aren't making health contributions, actors, sure. you know, usually it's 2% or something that goes, um, there's just no money. There's no money. Left. And there's my dog. I love it. It's completely pandemic that we have a dog entering into our conversation. I will yeah. say, you know, part of part of me is wondering where are the and again, I'm saying these things because it's easy for me to say, and I'm not, you know, I don't mean these things with rancor. But part of me feels like where are the philanthropists? Where are the people who? put money in to have a, th a theater named after them or, mm. you know, a uh, theater lobby named after them. Where are those people or those organizations now, right? Like it just, it, I, I'm completely naive with how that all works, but it does feel like lovers of the arts, patrons of the arts, it feels like there should be a groundswell of support happening you know, that's not just based on, yeah, and then you know what, you get your name in a little gold thing on a seat, mm -hmm. right? And let's actually like insure some people. Let's, 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 I don't know, let's help, let's, let's help. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm not a development person. I would suck at it. And I, you know, I'm sure the people that are in development are being like, dude, shut up, because you don't even know what it's about, how hard that would be. But I, I do think, you know, it, it does feel like, man, where are the angels? Where are the patrons? Where are those people? Right. You know? Right. Totally. Um, I want to go back to, to television a little bit and, yeah. you know, the self-tapes that you're watching doing dinner, because uh, yeah. let's talk about self-tapes for a second, because yeah. guess what? That's what we are doing sure. <laughs> as actors. And and in reference to your two your, the two Facebook posts, I do want to ask you about those, and I'm glad that you touched on them. Just saying, it means so much when I read that Facebook post of yours, um, you know, that, um, that you're watching these tapes and that mm -hmm. someone is like, you know, that it is being taken seriously, because yeah, as actors you know, when it was normal, we would go just go into a room and do our audition, you know, we would prepare and everything and then we'd leave. But doing a self tape is like, so involved just with like, you know, sure. the, the camera and the lights and finding a quiet space and a reader. So it's so mm -hmm. helpful to hear. Sometimes when you press send to your agents, you know, you feel like is anyone, you know, watching sure. on the other side. So yeah, I mean, it's hard enough for an actor to get closure on an audition when you've had an in person audition, right? Yeah, because you leave and you do have a sense about what the energy in the room was when you were leaving. You've got some idea. Yeah, you know. And if you're an agent, an actor that doesn't have an agent that can call for feedback, you're walking around. You know, it's like with the parentheses never closed. I think right. it's th that's so exacerbated right now when you press send, and it's like, okay, did I even just do that? Did I even just send that? Right. And is anyone going to watch it? You know, am I in the right. running? When I go in the room, if I come in for you and I'm auditioning in front of you, when I leave, I know that I'm at least being considered. You know, I know right. that you have seen my work. Right. Sometimes when you send a self-tape, you're like... Right. So it's, your, it's, it's, it's in the bank. Right. The thing that I will say from what I'm hearing from my colleagues and certainly from myself, and I will say right now, I don't want this... I don't want the industry to change in the way that I'm about to describe. But I will say that I am seeing a lot more actors for every single role now in the TV show than I was able to when I was doing it in person, mm -hmm. right? Because I can watch the tapes of my, on my own disposal. So there is a sense of the bulk 
and the mm-hmm. amount of people that we can give opportunities to because we can canvas a little bit, you know, a little bit more. And because of COVID, we're also given a couple of extra days of prep, which mm-hmm. is great. So we've got, you know, two more days in the casting process. So that's the, that is one benefit, you know, is just the more, is that I think casting directors are consuming a lot more in terms of how many actors we're seeing for things. So I think, you know, I think it's important for actors to know that first off. And, and also to know that, you know, and this is where it's a trust fall for actors a little bit, because even though if you and I are in the room, Robbie, and like you come in and we're like, oh, hey, Robbie, blah, 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 we have our thing and our connection just as people. And then you leave. I'm having a similar experience when I'm watching a self-tape. Like if you pop up on a self-tape, I'm like, oh, it's Robbie. I'm happy to see Robbie's face. So like I'm sitting here like having my own little relationship with the people that are coming up on my screen. You're just not a part of it in the same way. You know what I mean? I'm just like a crazy person being like, oh, hey, hey. But I'm still, it's still coming. It's still, I'm still processing it. You know, you're just not aware of it. And so, I, but I think it's, you know, and in some cases, you know, I can go back and watch it again and again mm-hmm. in real time because usually you come in if you're if you're appointment one thirty five, and I'm in that room until four, I'm out of commission for two and a half hours. If I'm in my living room watching a concentrated amount of tapes, I can go back and watch your take again immediately, as opposed to waiting two and a half three hours to go back and revisit it. Which I'm mm-hmm. finding helpful, actually, right? Because you know, just in terms of okay, that take was, that take had that in it that I really liked, as opposed to that one. So I can take each actor at face value in real time a little bit more than you can when you're in the room. All of which is to say, I do not want this to become something that replaces, and I don't think it will, but that replaces entirely in-person auditions. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I'm very thankful I'm a theater director, theater casting director, because I do know eventually I have to be back in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's because it's just not possible. It's just it's not possible to cast theater from Zoom all the time or from self tapes. Yeah, tell me about it. I had a Zoom callback for a for a play that was going to be filmed, but it was like so you know in the eco cast thing. It's so mm-hmm. weird. To be doing- Self tape is one thing, but then to be doing it live is like in Zoom. It's like it's like that pathos, that that thing. I don't know that like exchange of energy is just totally not there. It's it's. What I would say that's interesting though, Robbie, is that the playing field has never been more equal for actors of different levels of experience and success in their fields, right? Because everyone's grappling with the same thing. Like not everybody. Like just because you're an awesome actor and you've been on Broadway six times and you're used to auditioning or whatever, your home setup may suck and you know then there's some young actor that's just graduated from a program or just moved to the city who's totally tech savvy and it looks like they're in a fucking professional studio so there's something to be said for the fact that every no it's the wild west right now so all bets Mm -hmm. are off normally you'd be like oh you want the most neutral background you want this now it's like there's a fucking moose head in the back okay i have to ignore the moose head to get to, to you know what i mean so it's a little bit like I don't know. There's something about about it to me that's sort of like, all right, you know what? Even the and, and a lot of actors that are not used to being in rooms or used to auditioning, that are auditioning again, it's hard to adapt to Zoom. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. maybe it sounds ageist to say, but the younger generation, I think, you you know, you guys are used to. You came of age a little bit in FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. You know, like right. I'm actually curious now as a human, like, will I continue to make personal phone calls on Zoom now that we? 
kind of can, or am I going to, you know, am I just having a phone call? Right. I don't know. So anyway, point being, I think that as much as it's disorienting for the actor and all that stuff, the, the, the silver lining is that it's awkward and weird for everybody. And, you know, everyone's grappling with the same issues. Yeah. Let's let's talk like just technically about self tapes for a second. I think I certainly, you know, want to know and have been listening and reading, you know, about stuff and, and kind of mm-hmm. upping my my self tape game. But I uh-huh. um, I wonder what like your thoughts are or like what I think it would be naive to say that quality doesn't matter. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Is that right? Like what what's helpful? What have you been learning? What have you been thinking about? I guess, self-tapes that have been more effective or things that, that are happening that are less effective when it's when it's happening that way or just anything that you've kind of been ruminating about? Kind of goes back to the thing we were just talking about where quality in terms of lighting, sound, all that stuff, honestly, kind of all bets are off because people are just in places where they're not equipped. So a lot of people are literally relying on their iPhones, their iPads, and angles are weird the lighting is weird. So we're having to overlook a lot, a lot of stuff, you know, to try to, to try to place the actor often, but in a way to me, that's a little bit liberating, right? Because it's sort of like, that means, okay, that does level, level the playing field from somebody who could afford really fucking awesome stuff and somebody that just can't, you know, where they, they've got a forty nine ninety five background from Walmart, you know, and their iPhone. And there's something to be said for those auditions that are on that iPhone that are, they're not as technically great, but if the actor is still really good, the actor Mm -hmm. is still really good. And then hopefully I'll be like, okay, but I do need to get that person on a Zoom because I don't know if I can send that to the network. Although the network also has to be more flexible. And so does the studio about, you know, What's the quality? What's the sound quality? All that stuff. We're all having to learn to be like, shut everything else out. Look at the acting. Look at the actor. Right? So that's one thing. In terms of the acting part of it, what I'm finding is a huge, huge difference. And, and this is probably going to sound more technical than I, than I mean it. But if you and I were in a room together, Robbie, so you, you know that teeny little shit room that I have in the back there in my office that I had. Like, you I know, like a, like a two by four, right? So if I'm your reader, right? So I'm a little bit off to the side, the camera is to my right, a little bit in back of me, and you're directly ahead, you know, in the room center in front of the, you know, in front of the camera. There are things that you would not do in person that have currency and weight, beat-wise, acting-wise, that people are doing in Zoom all the time that I don't think they realize actually has not negative currency, but is not helping them. And the first thing that I'm thinking about is leaning, leaning in. So in the room, if you and I, you know, say you and I were doing a scene and we were brothers or we were brothers and say we were being Biff and Happy in Mm -hmm. Salesman and we're having that scene upstairs where we're talking at night, right? You and I are going to create that feeling together in the room, but you're probably not going to lean in towards me in your chair, in the room, necessarily, to create that intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. When you're doing that on Zoom for a theater audition, people are tr- I think people are trying to compensate for the fact that we're not in the same room by leaning forward and your face taking up the frame 
as if somehow that is going to replace the acting intimacy, as opposed to remaining pulled back as if you were in the room sitting down and using your vocal instrument and your acting and your face to tell the story in a more economical way, if that makes sense. So yes. I'm getting a lot of self-tapes. Even for TV, I'm getting a lot of self-tapes where people's faces are just huge in the fucking frame. It's like a horror movie, right? There's no perspective. Yeah. There's nothing to contextualize you. You are just, there's your face, right? So if, if my line is, do you know how much I hate what you just did? And I lean forward and I'm like, do you know how much I hate what you just did? And you lean forward. I'm not seeing how nuanced of an actor you are necessarily because you're throwing yourself and trying to get through the screen. Yes. So that's one thing that I think is just technically different and something that I think actors really need to be aware of. Great. That's great. Great. You know, I don't know if you have questions based on your own experience from, from self-taping, if there's questions that you're thinking about when you're like alone at 1 a.m. taping and you're like, Jesus Christ, am I, should I be doing this? How about this? Say I get like an appointment and it's like, I don't know, it's not a whole bunch of scenes. It's like five mm -hmm. lines, you know, something like mm -hmm. that. Do you like actors to send in multiple ways of doing those five lines or three lines? Or do you just want Honestly, I really do not. Okay. For me personally, I really do not. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, picture like, you know, so we've got a five line role in New Amsterdam and I'm watching 40 tapes. Mm -hmm. If even eight of those actors sends two versions of each one of those scenes, that quadruples my work. Mm -hmm. So if you happen to be actor 36 that I am watching and you've got two takes, I don't have the mental bandwidth as much as I would love to, to be able to look and see what the nuance is. To me, you got to view it as an acting exercise. You know what? Choose your own adventure. Figure it out. You, you guys decide. You folks decide which one feels like, you know what? This is a specific enough choice that if they want something different, that's adjustable. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not making it's not I don't feel the need to have two different scenes. If you're a good actor, a, I can tell you're a good actor. And if you've made a specific choice based on the text in front of you, I'm going to know that if I gave you an adjustment, you could do something different with it. Right. It just it feels it's hard to it's hard to tell when actors do more than one take, whether or not it's because they don't trust themselves. Yeah. So the answer to me is no, I, I do not want more than one take. Great. Slates, do you want them in a separate file or iMovie it to? For me, separate. Okay. I want to be able, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, my assistant Gabby, she knows how to do every fucking thing you need to do so she can separate your slate from something. But I actually feel like I want to be able to send it at the beginning or the end based on how, where I feel like it's going to benefit you, the actor. So if you do it, if you go from your slate into the first scene, A, I think you've just called attention to that weird buffer moment when you go from being you to being the character anyway. So I think to slate into your scene is never helpful to my, to my mind. Um, so I like it as its own thing. Sometimes, cause sometimes Robbie, I don't even send it. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, if they want it, I'll send it. Mm -hmm. But if I don't, if I feel like the slate is actually somehow not helpful, which I think sometimes it isn't, then I want the liberty not, I want the freedom to be, to not have to send it and not have to edit it in a way that's not going to fuck up your take. And that's something that I'm sure that other casting directors have, you know, someone, you know, Carmen Cuba could be listening right now and being like, Oh my fucking God. No, they definitely should be in the same take. I don't know. 
But for me, I want it separate. Wow, but you know what else in terms of slates? Yeah. I kind of think we're a little bit, and again, other casting directors may feel differently, but I feel a little bit like we're past the point where the slate needs to be like, it's totally in slow-mo down your body to your feet. So we're all uncomfortable, even if I'm not in the room <laughs> with you and then slowly it pans back up. It's like, you know what? The slate doesn't need to take 12 seconds because you're slow-moing it. Do you know what I mean? Right. So right, I right. think that whole thing that we're taught as actors when you're graduating or whatever, whoever's teaching you auditioning or whatever you're doing, that's like, and now turn to your left and now turn to your right. Unless that's specifically asked for, I don't think that that is necessary or something that actors need to do to themselves. Right. And I would slate for yourself, honestly, this is just me personally, at the end. Because I feel like slating calls attention to the fact that this is such an unnatural, weird thing. That mm -hmm. for me, if I were an actor, the last thing that I would want to do is call attention to the thing that is the most awkward. And yeah. to do it first in my process. I would be like, that's the last thing I want to fucking do. Yeah. You know? For sure. Um, I, I just want to know if you can just break down the television, like kind of how it happens really quickly. Like mm -hmm. you say it, it's like a big, a bigger co-star or a small guest star or something on New Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Roughly how many tapes are you going to watch? And then, you know, I think I want people to hear what's the next step in the process. You know, like you, you know, how you then select a certain amount to send on to producers, director, you know, who are you sending it to? And then, and then I guess who makes the decision. And then one of those actors is chosen because in theater, we all know you, you audition, you get a callback, if you get a callback and then, you know, maybe you'll get the part, but at least you feel like if you get a callback, Oh, I was on the right, it's on the right path. But a lot of the time when your tape is sent to producers, you don't mm -hmm. know. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. the casting director will say, you know, I'm sending the tape on. That's great to hear because it feels like in my mind, oh, that was a callback, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just wondering if you can just like quickly kind of go through like. Yeah, sure. How that um, happens. You know, if it's a part that's like, if it's a really good meaty guest star mm -hmm. and say it's a meaty guest star of someone between 25 and 50, I am most likely going to know the actors in that pool really, really well. Mm -hmm. So I am really going to choose selectively who I even ask to tape. Although again, now I have the liberty to, to ask for more. When you get to 30, 35, there's going to be fewer actors that I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Like 25 to 30, yes, there's going to be more graduating from MFA programs or whatever. So I would say normally 25 for a meaty guest star. Like I think we've got one right now. We're getting tapes in today, maybe 25, possibly 30. I think I watch too many, frankly. I think I cut my, my I are on the side of seeing too many just because I didn't I didn't do th TV for a lot of my career. So I still have that thing of like, oh my God, my work ethic, I've got to make sure I'm seeing enough people. But also the thing that I the thing that jazzes me about TV in my my view of it is I want to make sure that I feel like I've got four or five people that I'm gonna send them that speak pretty much to exactly what they talked about on the concept call. And what it looks like on the in on the script, that mm -hmm. the writer feels like he, she, or they has been heard, and the story they've got five people that can tell the story in the way that they wrote it. Then I want to say maybe five to seven that I think still tell the story as written, but maybe based on the person brings an interesting, a, another interesting layer or context to it, right? And especially, especially now where 
no, there should be no default browser anymore to straight cis white. There just mm-hmm. shouldn't, you know? So I think also I'm erring more on the side of sending more selects to the team because I want to cover as broad a, a, a group of people as possible to be as inclusive with every single part that we can be. And then for a small co-star part, three or four lines, honestly, we could see 50 people for that. You know what I mean? Because those you can bomb through really easily. For a guest star, then I would probably send to the director, writer, producers, six to 10 candidates. Mm-hmm. And the 10 would be because I feel like the story is expansive enough that a lot of different types of actors or people can tell it, right? If it's very specific, like we had one part that was like a, a white 40-year-old NRA guy. And you know what? White 40 NRA guy, there's a pocket for that. So yeah. I'm not really going to have a lot of, you know, I don't know that I need 10 to tell that story. Yeah, I've got six really strong people that I'm going to focus them with, right? Because mm-hmm. also they're scouting, they're doing this, they're doing that. Casting is but one part of that, which is, you know, hard for actors to think about because the world revolves around us. Of course, right? Um, it has to. Um, we are necessarily arrogant, we, we actors and artists, right? But then sometimes I'll say, you know what, there's a lot of different ways to go with this role. So we've, we're, we're sending 10 selects. From that, on my show, New Amsterdam, usually the director and the writer talk separately. They go through their the, the list of selects that we've sent, and they usually narrow it down to maybe one to three. We then run, we run everybody by the EPs, David Schulner and Peter Horton, but we will then highlight those three from the writer and director and say, these are the, these are the choices of your creative team. Mm-hmm. And then either David and Pete and or Peter will say, yep, dig one of those three, dig them in that order, fine. Or, huh, we actually like the seventh person that was on that link that you didn't choose. Can we go back and have a conversation about that? And that's when it becomes, you know, creative and, What's great about New Amsterdam is that they are so. When I took took the was offered the job, luckily three years ago, Peter Horton, David Schindler didn't know me, but Peter Horton was like, "I feel like because of your theater background, you come across so many different. I hate the word type. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I think you know that from Tepper. I hate Ted it um, because I think type is like literally it's like putting you in a fucking frame." And you're a Picasso and the, the frame does not belong around you, right? You're just yeah. fucking busting out of the side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Deirdre Friel, I don't know if you watched the show, Deirdre Friel is playing a character named Ella. And she was written only as a woman who works at a coffee shop. She had no romantic interest. She was a co-star. We brought her in. And Deirdre is a self-described full-bodied, full-figured woman. And she's just hysterical. And she's not... She's not the physical embodiment of what we see on television all the time. The creatives loved her. The network loves her. She became a complete recur guest, guest recur, huge run on the show. That's to me where it's exciting and freeing to work on it. You know, to work on a network show where I think you've got the freedom to do that and where the creators and the network are receptive to it. That's what I love. And that's where I feel like you're maybe you're six to 10, your extra four or five people on your link. Mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not sure if this is right. This is specific. This is a specific way to tell this story, but I can't operate from fear. I can't operate from, I don't know if they're going to go for this or not. It's like, you know what? You you trust my aesthetic. I'm casting a major network television show out of my little bunker in the back. You <laughs> seem to like my taste enough that 
you know, I can take some chances and be like, this may not work. And they may be like, man, that doesn't work, but we love that actor. Mm-hmm. Bring that actor in for something else. Right. You know, cool. That's a very long winded answer to your question. I'm sorry. No, listen, that's, I mean, I felt like I kind of knew that that was the process, but it's just interesting. It's interesting to hear it because again, with like right now where actors are making a lot of tapes for television shows and, and to, to know where the tape is going or the process helps feeling that I'm just sending it into the void and I don't know what's happening. I think it helps us ground ourselves a little bit and kind of know the I process. I think what you need to what... know, honestly, Robbie, is that it's the, it's it's a different machine for the same process. I, I could see 20 actors in my room and I'm probably still only going to send six to eight. So you may not be one of those 12 that I sent, whether or not you sent me a self-tape or it was in the room. So actually... It's just because you're in a vortex that you're sending it, that it can feel more lonely and more random and like there's less of a chance that it's going to land somewhere real where someone who has any casting authority is going to see it. Yeah. Right. But actually what I would say to actors is it's, it is the same thing as happening, right? You're just not, you're just not as involved in it because your role ends early, earlier, and you weren't part of the actual organic experience of it. We didn't share it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's what's missing. Three things that I always like take from your class. One was the auditioning isn't acting. And I think about that a lot. I think I would talk about it with Lauren when Lauren would coach me on auditions. You know, she would say, okay, because this is an audition, let's show some different colors or some different choices. You know, the other thing is the the comet tail that follows you as you're coming into the room. I always think about that. So if you could just touch on that just a little bit. And then the third thing that you always said that I feel like is kind of my guiding thing is develop your aesthetic, right? Uh-huh. I feel like yeah. you always used to say that. And that's like, go see theater, go see shows, go watch television, go decide what you love and what's the kind mm-hmm. of thing, that, the work that you love, the actors you love, because that, that even thinking about it, it osmosis, osmosisly gets uh-huh. into your work, into your skin, sure. and it just starts to become who you are, you know, in the world. So sure. love those three things, but I just wanted to know if you could just explain just a little bit about. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the aesthetic thing of what I think is interesting is you, you know, you, you hear so many writers say that they steal from other writers, mm. right? And that it's sometimes writing is an act of theft in some ways. I think that the word inspiration is key. Like you go to see something and someone's work inspires you. Something mm-hmm. about the way that they worked inspired you. Some, their choices inspire you. Someone's career inspires you. It gives you a model. It gives you, you know, it gives you something to not emulate, but like, oh, that person, like if you look at Leonardo DiCaprio's career in the movies that he's chosen, when he could have done anything, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always intrigued by that. So as a young actor, which you were once, you're still young. God knows you're still young compared to me. <laughs> but, but where it's so easy to be, my, to be myopic, right? As an actor and only see things through the eye of an actor. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have to, exp- not yet, you don't have to, but I think it's good to expand that and think about yourself as an artist. And this is going to sound totally grand, but an artist and, and a student of the world in some ways, and not just channel yourself through performance, because I think that that puts blinders on you. And I think you never know what is seeping into your subconscious. You just don't. And developing your your aesthetic, you know, I learned early on that I sucked at Sam Shepard, but I was really good at speaking Richard Greenberg, right? And I would bat myself over the head because I couldn't do Shepard like it was something shameful. I was like, you know what? I couldn't fucking do Sam Shepard. I just didn't speak it well. That's fine. Someone Mm -hmm. else does it better than me. 
That said, Richard Greenberg writes a line, I'm having a terrible day. I went to a diner, tried to order a burger. It didn't work out. Even that didn't work out. I speak like that, right? So suddenly it's like, oh, okay, you know what? I do him well, and who's like right. him? So the Comatel thing that you were talking about, corny as it may seem, is to me, having been in this profession now for 24 or 25 years, having done so many EPAs, obviously el- eligible performer auditions at Equity, where you can sometimes be, see 140 people in a day, you truly understand the phrase, someone changes the energy in the room, right? One person leaves, another one comes in with a distinct energy. Robbie, you may walk in the room at 9.30 in the morning and I immediately respond to you and your energy. You're like, if you were a color, you're like yellow. I'm just immediately like, oh, I like this guy. Even before you start, it's the actor's job to try to understand what that energy is that you innately bring. If you were the last person to sit down at your Thanksgiving table with your family or with your chosen family, how does the table change when you sit down last? Understanding that, understanding what you bring naturally is such a huge help because then that's, that takes care of so much for you mm-hmm. that you don't have to worry about so that you can then deepen your work based on what you already know to be a given truth about yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the comet tail thing is actors walk in the door. And if we imagine it's like a dragon tail on back of us, one of the first things that can happen is you shut the door on that tail you leave it outside, and that's everything that makes you interesting, right? That's everything that's ever made you interesting. It's what made you interesting when you bought coffee at Starbucks, when you were unobserved. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you leave that out there like there's some neutral place to suddenly be, and then you're just this historyless person in the middle of the room, right? I want to see the right. mess. I want to see the messy ions. I want to see you bring all of your fucking crazy ions into the room, and I want you to have the technique and the presence of mind to let them settle. Once you've come into the room, because it can be frenetic. You get in there, you're nervous. Your ex-partner is the reader. The director looks at you, doesn't look up from their notes. All the shit that you have no control over, the only thing you have control over is your own energy, your own ions. So that's that sort of commentail thing. I just want to make sure, you know, and then actors shake their hands out and it's like, yo, no, 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 no. Bring that shit back. Bring it back and channel it through your work. That last thing you said about auditioning not being acting. I think all of us were told at some point in our acting careers, whoever taught us is that acting acting is not result oriented, right? That's why we have a week of table work to discuss just the text, to talk about the choose your own adventures moments. What happens if you make a choice to go there versus there, page 23 to 83. All that kind of shit that you do at the table with the guidance of a director, a writer, and a dramaturg, an auditioning actor is robbed of because you're on your own. So what I would say to actors is that you really want to treat your own auditioning process as rehearsal in some ways. Do your own table work. Make your own choices. And the best way I can describe it is, remember that game when we were kids, Blind Man's Bluff? You like mm-hmm. tie the thing around your eyes, and then your goal is to try to, you're in a room and you're trying to tag people. Mm-hmm. That to me is acting. That's your four weeks in the room. You are blindfolded and you've not decided what you're going to see and what choices you're just you're just you're kind of grasping you're walking around the room oh i just touched somebody okay that was right oh okay and it's all about discovery right if you walk in the audition room with those blinders on then what i'm doing is watching you potentially flounder around without having made a specific choice right Mm -hmm. what i want to what i want the actor to do is to take the blindfold off outside of the audition room figure out what they're playing towards. And you probably will remember this sentence. 
endow the beginning of the scene with the knowledge of the end without playing or indicating the end at the beginning. That is the skill. Mm -hmm. So you do all that outside of the room. You play to a result. You have to. Mm -hmm. Your side starts at point A and ends at point B. Your job is to chart the arc of it, to show me the math of that scene. Show me you can do it. If you haven't done that work because you're going to come in, and this is my one pet peeve, when actors come in and they sit and I say, you're ready? Yeah, let's play. Let's play. It's not my job to play with you. I have 12 other actors outside, and I understand that you don't really mean play, that it's just about let's keep it loose. I get that. But it is not play for me, and it shouldn't be for you. You've played. You've exercised. You've been at recess. You've figured it out. You've charted Google map this scene. You understand all the ancillary roads you could have taken. Maybe you've chosen to bring one into your map and your route, but you know what you're going to do. You're playing to that end, period, right? The technique then is to come back in and put the blindfold back on and act as if you don't know where you're going, but you do because you've rehearsed. And that to me is the difference, right? I could have said that in two sentences probably, but you know. The no, difference. no, no, but, but, but we... But we really got it. We really got it. Um, right. And I'm so, you know, we started this, you know, you talking about that you're like teaching more. And I just was thinking, mm -hmm. I'm so happy you're doing that because you're so good at it. Wow. Clearly, you're also passionate about it. And I know that people are going to love listening to what, you know, to what you just said and what we just talked about. Well, thanks for asking those questions because they're smart questions. It? Yeah. I mean, it's stuff that's it's stuff that I, I also think about. Um, and I'm happy that you that you shared it. I don't know that I've ever told you this story, but it's kind of fun to maybe share on the podcast. But a year after you were my audition teacher, I went to grad school at the Old Globe and they were doing a production of Pygmalion mm -hmm. and it was a hundredth anniversary production. It was a really big deal. And they were yeah. like, Martin, thinking, right? yes, they were thinking of casting a student in, as Freddie and Clara. And the weekend that the auditions were happening, I was flying back to New York to do that summer I did a, done a play with Bob Moss up at Berkshire theater festival. And we were like kind of doing the play in New York for like some investors or producers or whatever. And I was really excited about that. But so I made a tape, I made a tape for Pygmalion and I ended up getting, getting the, getting the job and you cast that show, yeah. um, but we didn't really have any interaction, but I was talking to Nikki Martin, like much later, like after we opened and everything, I actually was going over to help him out with his, um, like make him lunch one day or something, you know, cause he was in a wheelchair or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And he said to me, he was like, you know, I don't cast actors. I don't know. I don't cast actors off of tapes, you know, cause he's so old school. He's like, sure. if I do cast sure. someone off of a tape, it's because I've worked with them before. But he said, you know, you're the casting director, David loves your work and was your teacher and really vouched for you and said how great you are. And he said, that's, I liked your tape, but he's like, when David vouched for you, that's all I needed to know. And, and then I wanted you to play the part. Oh, and um, so thank you for that experience. Cause that was really, that was really special. Thanks for telling me that story. I loved Nikki and that's a meaningful story for me. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I was, I really connected with him and, and loved that experience. Oh, and It was one of a kind. He was certainly one of a kind. I miss that man. Well, thanks for telling me that. I appreciate that. The best thing for me to see in this Zoom, Robbie, is the, the smile on your face. And it seems like, I don't know if you remember, but like when we ended our classes, the last thing I say to the actors is, 
that I, and I truly mean this, like, I don't give a shit if you end up never acting a day in your life again, you're a chef, you're, you're a barista, whatever you are. The goal is to have a good life. The goal is to be a happy person and a good person. And that if the, if acting is a conduit to that, awesome. But clearly you're having a good life <laughs> and you seem happy. So that is the thing that makes me the most happy. And so I just want to say that to you because it's important to keep in mind you're the kindest you're the kindest and so good at what you do and Thanks, glad that you are doing what you're doing and, and those facebook posts meant more to more people than you even know so cool. thank you of course man of course congratulations on everything with you for more information on the podcast and our guests visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Ah!